You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy. Hello, you are listening to The Happiness Hub with me, Kedron Elliott, and my co... I always get stuck here. <laughs> my co-host. What am I today, Kedrin? Uh, <laughs> am I your co-host today? You are my co-host today. Yes. Okay. Not I'm my gin co- drinking buddy today. No, I'm not your gin drinking buddy today. No, no, no. Just your co-host. Fabulous. How are you doing, Liz? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Okay. Very good. good. You've been rushing around this morning. What's been going on? Uh, what have we been doing this morning? We've been working at home this morning on my little pledge job. Then uh, my friend's dad sadly passed away. So we've been lining up in Hospital Street and the cortege has just come past. So we've all given him a big round of applause mm-hmm. and a send off. Mm-hmm. And I um, have been trying to find a wire to connect this thing. And it was there on the chair the whole time. So... Oh. We yeah. got there in the end, though. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, you had to rush out. And you try drink and... tea and you drink tea and have a chat <laughs> while I go running around setting up everything. Okay. <laughs> God dear. Anyway, yeah, everything's fine, and we're pelting towards the weekend oh and, uh, and Christmas. Christmas, of course. <laughs> I put my tree up last night. Yes, Actually, well done, because I thought you weren't going to bother this year. I know, I wasn't going to bother at all. MJ came home with a tree and I thought, oh, bless you, actually. Now you've come home with a tree, I probably could drag myself into this thing called Christmas. So I had my team, my pledge team Christmas party. So we organised, I sent out to the team of 14 of us, I sent them all out little parcels of goodies and crackers and vodka shots and all sorts of crazy random stuff so we started at three o'clock yesterday and we were on zoom and we had a really really lovely time and that finished at about half five six and then a few of us stayed on and then my my colleague and and friend Stacey and I stayed on till about 10 so we realized that we sat on zoom for seven hours oh my god I had only drunk one bottle of wine in that time so (laughs) always good good. always good but then after that we were definitely in the mood to put the Christmas tree up so that was all good yeah Mm. has your decorations gone up yet Yes, we did our Christmas tree at the weekend, which is early for us. And I've pretty much done all my Christmas shopping. I've only got a couple of presents to wrap, which is amazing for me. Because you know me, late for everything. <laughs> do everything to the last minute. Yeah, that's pretty good going. It is very good going for me. Excellent. Good for you. So our guest today, I wonder if he's got his Christmas tree up Ooh, and done know. all his Christmas shopping. Shall we find out? Yes, shall we ask him? Go on then. So our guest today is Nigel, and Nigel is a hypnotherapist, and it's Right Minds, is that right? right hypnotherapy. Minds, that's right, yeah. Have you got your Christmas tree up, Nigel? Oh, weeks ago. Yeah, weeks yeah. ago. Were you one of these <laughs> November something ones? something to brighten us up, you know. <laughs> it's, it's been a dull enough year, hasn't it? It so has indeed, Get yeah. the lights up. I, I, I like the lights and everything. I'm not, I'm not mm. a bar humbug uh, type of person. I, I, I like them. Yeah. Also get fed up with them. It's nice to put them all away again afterwards, isn't mm. it? But well, that's the thing. I vary every every year. I'm usually first of December get them up straight away. Sometimes it'll be like the following weekend or whatever. But this, this is the latest I've ever put them up, and I'm like, oh, whatever. And then we pulled out all the lights yesterday, and I said, are, we, "Are these going back in the loft?" And Emily's like, "No, no, no. I'm going to put them up tomorrow." I was like, "It's hardly worth it just for like five days or a week." He's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. So he seems so happy. I don't think he will though because it's raining now, isn't it? Yeah. Can you so. can you share what you also found in your loft? <laughs> oh yes, we've not had a chat since then. No. <gasps> You're friends with me on Facebook, aren't you, Nigel? You probably mm. saw this as well. So MJ went um, went out for a day skiing with his mates up at the uh, ski dome the other day because obviously they're missing their ski trip this year, so they're all having withdrawal symptoms. And he went up to get his ski stuff, and he called me and said, "Liz, Liz," and I was like, "I'm busy." Liz, come here, Liz. What do you want? And he started tipping his ski boot out 
and out came hundreds and hundreds of acorns. I was like, I looked at him. I was like, what? What are you doing? He said, well, have you done this? I'm like, <laughs> no. What do you mean? I thought he was having a joke on me. He thought I was having a joke on him. And then we thought, hang on a minute. We have heard scurrying. And it's been above in the dining room above us and in the bedroom above us. So there's two floors. And we've worked out that this, this squirrel has obviously got in common through the first floor and then gone up to the next floor and has been carrying, carrying, carrying literally hundreds. There must have been 300 acorns in this ski boot, in the ski boot, in the same place. No little poos, no little, no, no sign of a, a squirrel anywhere else in the loft. I thought, oh my word, my first, my first reaction was, oh, poor Mr. Squirrel, make sure you leave them there. And just like, don't be so bloody ridiculous. It's vermin. They're not going to have, I'm not going to encourage them to come into the loft. I was like, but he's all, all that work he's done for his I Christmas know, dinner. I know, but that squirrel's proper act off. So he's going to starve to death this winter now. No, I've repositioned them. We think we know where he got in. So I've just put a big, all these acorns just like on the eaves of the, of the where the roof meets the oh. wall. But yeah, that was what we found in the loft. We had a really clever one in our garden that in our last house. And I, I, I used to find these pieces of gravel in the middle of a lawn and wonder how they got there. And what he'd do, he'd bury a nut or acorn or whatever, and he'd put a piece of gravel on top <laughs> so he remembered where he buried it. I thought it was incredibly no clever. No way. It really messed him up when I took the bits of gravel off the lawn. <laughs> you rotten bugger. <laughs> did you, how did you discover that? Did you actually like look underneath or did you see him doing it or something? I think we saw him do it the one time, yeah. That's genius. Mm, that's well, clever. For, this, for this squirrel to come in the house, like I say, go up two levels, and find a boot and think oh place to they're the in lockdown ones. they're not going to go skiing this year <laughs> I'll shove it in there I'm not sure, I'm not sure that cleverly yeah, so. no. <laughs> I like to think I have clever squirrels in my garden <laughs> a better class of squirrel <laughs> but yeah so there we go a Cheshire squirrel I wonder if I can do acorn stuffing can you eat them like chestnuts? I know they're toxic to me goats. I wonder if they're toxic to humans. Mm, I think they might we, be. We don't eat acorns, do we? No. It's no. probably for a good reason. Yeah, okay. I won't test that theory. No, probably best not to. Let's crack on with yes. some hypnotherapy. Getting a sidetrack. I feel like I need it. <laughs> Calm me down. That's great. We'll probably will. <laughs> After he's realised all his acorns are gone. traumatised for life. <laughs> so, yes, let's talk about hypnotherapy. So, Nigel, how long have you been a hypnotherapist and... How did it all come about? And why? Yeah, and yeah. why? Um, oh, well, I've been a hypnotherapist for about six years, well, six and a half years, something like that now. And it came about because I'm old. And when you get older, <laughs> your priorities in life change a little bit, I suppose. Mm. When you're younger, it's all about money and getting your foot on the property ladder and sort of... Uh, bettering yourself whereas you get a little bit older and you've paid off some of your debts then uh, the money isn't necessarily the driving force mm -hmm. and I was I was always in admiration of people who whose job was helping people to change their lives for the better I felt all I was ever doing was helping big companies with lots of money earn even more money and mm. you know well that's handy to earn money occasionally uh, it, it's not the most motivational thing necessarily yeah. and so stumbled into hypnotherapy I won't I, unless it's a three-hour podcast I won't tell you how um, but it was just something I, I was very interested in I found that I could do I have a very boring monotonous voice which is really useful for sending people to sleep <laughs> I don't um, it's boring it's a brilliant voice isn't it it's great that. for podcasting when they hear snoring in the background now you'll know, <laughs> you'll know so. so yes that's how I sort of got into it really mm -hmm. and uh, I love it I absolutely love it it was the right decision definitely every Every client is different. I've seen over the last six years now, I've seen over 800 clients. Wow. And uh, every one of them has been different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if 
50 people come to see me with anxiety, there'll be 50 different reasons, 50 different ways of treating them. And a lot of it is finding out that reason in the first place so that you can work out the best therapy to uh, to treat them with. So mm-hmm. it's good, very rewarding, I find. So Not financially, but very rewarding. <laughs> so is there an element then of your, when you when you practice, when you meet a new client, you actually spend time in a sort of, I suppose, a counselling role or vetting, finding out about yeah. them and what their actual needs are before you dive in with yeah, the hypnotherapy? Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, the, the, the first session, I don't, I, I do a free initial consultation and that really is so I can get to meet the person face to face because I, I don't, I don't like doing it on the phone or via Zoom or anything like that particularly. I like to see the whites of their eyes. So yeah. But it, it puts my them at, at ease as well because when, you know, when, when you're meeting people face to face, there's body language, there's all the, the unspoken things that you can pick up on. Um, and it, it, a lot of it, I was saying to Kedron earlier on, is is trying to dispel some of the myths they may have heard about hypnosis, mm. what you might see on television. Yeah. You know. Eating apples and crawling around oh, barking like dogs. Exactly, all, mm. all, all those so uh, weird and wonderful things. Yeah, mm. because yeah, that's all very entertaining, but it's not what I do. What you do, yeah. Um, and it does tend to put people off a little bit. So mm. to get get them in front of you to to then spend a little bit of time finding out in a bit more detail what the problem is, mm. how it affects them, mm. how long they've been experiencing it for, anything that may have happened that could trigger that or or start mm. it in the first place, and and really try and and sometimes it takes three or four sessions to really dig down deep enough to get to that because they think they're telling you everything that they can recall but as you're getting a little bit more into it they'll they'll suddenly come up with something oh i forgot to tell you you Mm. know you think that would have been useful to know three weeks ago (laughs) but is it is it regression hypnotherapy or suggestion hypnotherapy what kind of well a variety of things there are there are 20 30 different techniques that that, that you you can use in in a sort of toolbox of things you can use um I i tend to use age regression when it's something that you know we there's a block there and you and people can't really understand why they feel the way they do but there's that th- there may be something there in the past we'll do a little bit of age regression i don't do past life regression i don't get people to tell me they were henry the eighth in a former <laughs> life or anything i'm not saying i don't believe in that it's just not something i use particularly for therapeutic purposes mm. um and and other, other sort of i mean it's all done by suggestion really it's a very gentle therapy hypnotherapy if you uh if somebody tells us we're wrong, we don't usually like to accept that, do we, generally? I mean, if you had a firmly held belief and I said to you, oh, sorry, Liz, you're completely wrong there. This is not the way it is. This is the way I think it should be. So therefore, mm. you need to change what you're doing. You would not change what you did. Mm. You'd probably think, mm. idiot, yeah. and walk off. Um, but if I were to say to you, oh, that's really interesting, Liz. I'd never thought of it like that before. The way I've always done it is such and such a way. However... You know, I might give your way a go because it might be, then you might go away and think, oh, yeah. that's interesting. There might be another way of doing this. Yeah. And it's very similar at a subconscious level. You know, hypnosis works at a subconscious level with the subconscious part of your mind, which is where all your memories, all your beliefs are stored. When you're a very small child, mm-hmm. the way you're brought up, the people you mix with, the values that are instilled in you by your parents, teachers, priests, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. are all there. And yeah, you're not consciously aware of them necessarily, but it makes you the person you are. And some of these beliefs may be very helpful beliefs. You know, don't run across the road, you'll get killed. Yeah, it's a good idea. Look both ways. And now you look both ways when you cross the road automatically, don't you? But when you were a child, you didn't. That had to be taught to you. But there are other things that sometimes we may be a little mistaken about, and, th- and those beliefs aren't helpful. For instance, with a lot of people I see with phobias, 
they've never had a bad experience themselves of the thing they're afraid of. Um, I had a lady come and see me not that long ago and she was absolutely petrified of dogs, so scared. Her husband had to drive her onto my drive. I don't have a dog. Walk her from the car to my front door just in case a dog was anywhere in the vicinity. She was that scared of them. And when I said to her, you know, have you ever had a bad experience with a dog? She said, no, I've never been near dogs because I'm terrified of them. My mum was terrified of dogs. Yeah. You think, okay, well, when she used to take you out when you were little then, if ever a dog came near you, she'd be trying to protect you, trying to protect herself, making a fuss. And your subconscious will latch onto that. Mm. You know, dogs must be dangerous. Mum's scared of them. Stay away from dogs. That way you'll be safe. Because your subconscious... Is there to keep you alive, safe, well. So, you know, and, and these can be, these mistaken beliefs can then become part of, of you. And they, you know, being scared of dogs isn't life-threatening, isn't, you know, it does limit you from doing something. it's limiting if, if, yeah. if it's that bad that she needs to be escorted places, definitely, yeah. yeah. But being afraid of dentists or doctors. Yeah, yeah. Being That's afraid of flying, it does limit you. Imagine, yeah. Yeah, and, and quite often it's because, oh, well, mum was terrified of them or dad was terrified of them. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's understandable, isn't it, really? You know, we, we were very susceptible at that age to, to what we're told. Mm. It's a learned um, behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, you pick absolutely. up from whoever the authority is when you're, you're young. Well, it's funny you should, you should say that. That's absolutely right. And and a, a lady was saying to me not that long ago, you know, oh, it, it's uh, it's hereditary because my mum was anxious and my grandmother was anxious. Mm. It, it's not hereditary. Mm. You know, you're not born like it, but it's a learned behaviour. You've learned from your mum who was terrified of everything. Oh, you've got to be wary of this. You've got to be wary of that. Don't trust this. Don't trust that. Always be looking for problems, for dangers, for risks, um, because that's the way you've been brought up. Mm. Yeah, it's not hereditary, but as you say, it's it's, it's a learned behaviour. Mm. Can I just check? You know, you were saying about seeing your clients face to face. Can you offer hypnotherapy via Zoom? Is it something you could do? That it is theoretically virtually? possible. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't tend to like to do it because, well. It's dependent on the uh, the sort of integrity of your internet connection for a start. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It'd be very good to get somebody beautifully into hypnosis and then lose them completely because I wouldn't know I'd lost them necessarily. And <laughs> they'd be asleep for a while before they woke that, up yeah. thinking, what happened there? Um, <laughs> so I would, uh, it can be. Now, I did a session with a lady in the States who was too terrified to fly back. Gosh. She did get back. Um, and that worked okay, but it's not something I would generally like to do. I mm. like to do it face-to-face because you get all that feedback mm. that you don't get via uh, you know, other Yeah, Yeah, because there's an element of... Of you, you need to look with your eye and see you can check their breathing not check yeah. they are breathing but check the depth <laughs> check of their breathing yeah. how <laughs> deep they're breathing how relaxed they are absolutely. you can see from their eye their movement. facial expressions yeah and, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. when they've started dribbling and heads tipping to the side you know they're <laughs> right. well away exactly yeah <laughs> but you can't do that on zoom so yeah i can no. understand understand that Tell me, Nigel, you, you kind of tend to focus, I kind of pick up from talking to you, that you, you focus on the anxiety and a lot of your clients, it's because of anxiety. But give us a snapshot of some of the different things that you can you can treat through hypnosis. Yeah, sure. Well, as you say, I mean, anxiety tends to be the one I specialise in because it's the one I get asked to see people for most often. Mm. And even if you count fears and phobias really as a type of anxiety, you, you can club those in together. Stress, which all right, stress is different to anxiety, but it, they are very interconnected. I think people probably think of hypnotherapists in the past as being the, the person who can make you lose weight or stop you smoking or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't get asked for that a lot, to be honest. I think people who smoke now go on to e-cigarettes, yeah. kid themselves, they've, uh, they've given up. Even though they're still taking in nicotine and still have a habit, they, they've given up smoking. Um, I think the next big thing will be then people wanting to give up e-cigarettes yeah. because they yeah. find that they're very bad yeah, for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a, a little bit the same with weight loss. I tend to find people expect you to have a magic wand. They've tried everything else. 
they can't lose weight. They've belonged to every slimming club going and they've, they've just not applied themselves to it. And so, yeah, they want you to give them willpower, which you can't really do. You can help mm. a lot. I tend to have more success with people with weight loss if it's an emotionally driven thing, if, if they for an emotional reason, mm-hmm. uh, rather than they just like food, I think. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. um, what other sort of things? OCD is something that's oh, quite yeah, common. Yeah. And yeah, I mean proper OCD, not just, oh, I like to tidy things yeah, up. Because yeah. mm. you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm very OCD. No, you're not. You know, Proper OCD is debilitating and it's a horrible thing, but it, it can be very mm. uh, successfully treated. Things like lack of self-belief which doesn't sound a particularly uh, problematic thing, but if you suffer with lack of self-belief, it prevents mm. you from doing so much. You know, you'll stay in a job you hate because you you don't believe you could get another job. You don't believe, that you, know, you, you believe it's your fault rather than somebody else's. You mm. blame yourself for things. So that, that's, that's quite a big one, lack of self-esteem. You know, being made to feel worthless when you're younger just sticks with you for the rest of your life. Would, you know? would somebody come to you and ask you to help you, help them with their confidence or self-belief or do they come with you with something else and you realise that is what is causing... More often than not, the latter, yes. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people will come because somebody has said to them, oh, you should see a hypnotherapist because you lack self-belief. Mm-hmm. So they will, but quite often it is other things. You know, I'm really unhappy in my job. I feel really stressed with my job. And when you dig down to it, well... They're, they're mismanaged. Most of the people I see for work-related stress have got bad managers mm. and that, you know, who just dump on them and don't take into consideration their mental health or their ability to do the job. Um, but they're made to feel worthless, yeah. if you like. And, and all, if I can't do the job, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not that so much stuff has been dumped on me. No human being could possibly do that. It's, well, I'm, I'm inadequate because I can't do it. I'm not good enough and I can't do yeah, it. So yeah. quite often stress will be the th- reason they've come to see me, but you know, it's the fact that they have limited self-belief or self-esteem that, that leads to that in mm-hmm. the first place. Nobody likes to think that they can't do their job, do they? Yeah. They don't want to think that their boss will think they can't do their job. No, no. Mm. So. Are people signposted to you from healthcare practitioners or are they generally self-referring thinking they, they need some... A little bit of both. I get quite a lot of dentists refer people to me because yeah. they have people who are so scared that they can't <laughs> deal with. So, That's so, going to be good business for yeah, you, yeah, you know, hooking up with a dentist or... Yeah. <laughs> I, I do get a few dentists who, who I know quite Doctors. well now who, who send people to yeah. me. I, I've got a few uh, consultants in the NHS who will refer people. They're not allowed to actually refer because I'm not an NHS service. Yeah. It's a paid-for mm-hmm. service. But they will sort of say, well, look, I do know of somebody. You might want to contact him. He may be able to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've even help consultants children overcome their problems so that's why they believe in it and they will do it. i know a few gps who are training as, as hypnotherapists because they won't have the time during their nhs five minute session with a oh, patient mm-hmm. but they could then help them privately afterwards mm-hmm. because they, they're not equipped to help with mental health problems you know it's not what no, they do. they it, can no, prescribe it's drugs t- it's too much isn't it they're the general pr- practitioners about everything yeah. you can't mm. specialize no definitely. i mean physical things great they can do something about that but really, when it comes to psychological problems, they've got two options open to them now, really. It's either going to be antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs, mm. of which there are a myriad and uh, popped like smarties all uh, mm. all over the country. And now they, they can offer short courses of cognitive behavioural therapy, mm-hmm. but there's m- very long waiting lists for that. And yeah. the NICE guidelines don't generally allow for enough sessions for them to be effective because mm. it can be a bit of a drawn-out thing. And also a little bit of work's involved with that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, 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 that magic wand that most people are hoping yeah, for. Yeah. Exactly. And also, unfortunately, people do 
think there's a lot of people that still think oh it's prescribed by the doctor so it's fine it's medicine it's fine it'll treat me so even if the treatment isn't working they'll have this whole yeah. psychological thought that it is the doctor gave it and, to me yeah. yeah and so many doctors i mean i when i did my nlp training 15 odd years ago and then used it a lot in a teaching situation in, in the classroom one of the parents of a child that i did a lot of nlp with that particular year she was actually a gp and she came to me at, at the end of the school year and she said i'm going to train in nlp and i'm going to use it in my practice because of what you've done with my son and the difference and then she said it's just so important that that we in the in the medical profession start using this and embracing this alternative practice yeah. and it, you just you know she's one of not very many i think unfortunately in the medical setting that that feel like that although i would say probably moving on 15 years it's it's far Things more well changing, accepted definitely. now definitely i mean there, there, there is more of an acceptance now that the mind and the body are inextricably yeah, linked yeah yeah you know, I mean, psychologically, you can bring on any illness yourself. Hypochondriacs do it all the time. They'll read about yeah. something that develop the symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, giving placebos, sugar pills to people can make them better. We, mm. we, we know this. Mm. So psychologically, there, there is a massive link between the two. And I think doctors are, are becoming more and more aware of that now. And also more and more aware of the fact that they don't have any tools in their armory to deal with that. You know, mm. It's not what they're there for. It's not what they trained for. Giving drugs, yes, it can level you off a little bit to start with make you a little bit less anxious a little bit less panicky in the short term but it mm. doesn't solve the problem no. yeah treat the yeah. symptoms and then the, the, source, the completely perverse part of that is if somebody's a very anxious person by nature and you start giving them drugs they start worrying about the fact that they're on drugs <laughs> am i going to become dependent on these yeah. so what's going to happen yeah. so, so it's another thing to worry about it's another it? thing to worry about yeah. yeah how often how how many times on average would you say you you see somebody is it, it? it's difficult it, it depends on the problem the severity of the problem the age of the person i mean i I've, the youngest client i've had was eight years old mm. i've seen a few quite a lot of well a lot of teenagers to be fair i think it's mm. very stressful for teenagers mm. these days um right away up to about 70 80 year old people um some have had problems for a very long time they're very deeply ingrained and they can take a little bit of sorting out i would say anything from about two sessions to maybe 10 or 12 sessions right. average probably maybe four or five sessions because right. mm -hmm. that's quick isn't it to it help is, somebody it, with mm, something like yeah. that because these problems exist at a subconscious level under hypnosis what you're really doing is putting the conscious part of your mind to sleep and it allows you then to communicate directly mm. with that subconscious part because we can't directly communicate generally with the subconscious part of our mind you know if you could nobody would ever suffer with anxiety or depression mm. because you wouldn't choose to mm -hmm. you know i think because the conscious part of our mind is only about 20% of the total. But because that's the bit that we make the decisions in, you know, we, we don't do things we don't choose to do. We choose what time we get up in the morning, what clothes we put on, what route we take to get where we're going, what we have for our breakfast, all that sort of stuff. It leads you to believe that you're fully in control. But of course, you're not, because the other 80%, the subconscious part, that controls the bits that you can't control. You don't know why you can't control them. Well, you can't control them because they exist at that subconscious level. So... You know, you, you worry about everything. You don't want to worry about everything. It's really wearing to worry about everything. You're terrified of spiders. You're terrified of this. You don't want to be. She's not terrified of spiders. Why am I terrified of spiders? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because if you could control it, you would. But it doesn't exist in that part of your brain that you have direct control over. So by being putting somebody in hypnosis, by effectively sending that part of their brain to sleep, give it something else to do, you can communicate directly at that subconscious level. And mm -hmm. as I was saying earlier, it's done by suggestion. 
it's done very much by, you know, you're not saying, right, you're doing it all wrong, subconscious, <laughs> no, stop doing that, do it this way. Because let's face it, it's kept you alive for a long time, so it must be doing something right. So you suggest that, you know, you're doing a great job, but there might be an even better way that will give you an even more fulfilling life. And then, maybe. Mm. And that's why it takes a little bit of time sometimes. Mm. I always give a client a recording of their session, a clean recording, cut off all the nonsense at the beginning and the end. I cut off the bit where I wake them up at the end too because they listen to it and go to sleep at home. The last thing they want is me waking them up at the end. So I tend to give them a recording of the session. And the more, if they can listen to it a few times, goes off to it at home. When they're in that early phase of sleep, just that light sleep that you go into for the first 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever, it's very similar to being in hypnosis. And, and you're reinforcing that message all the time. You know, so if I've made a suggestion, that's a new suggestion, and your subconscious is thinking, maybe. If it hears it again and again mm. and again, it might just be more prepared to just try a different way. And when it's tried that different way and finds that different way is good, still it takes a little while to get that as, as a habit. Because mm. what you're doing, really, everything we do is habit-driven. We're replacing a bad habit with a more yeah. beneficial habit. And when you've proved, because people will often say to me, well, when we're done, will I need to come back to you periodically for a top-up? Yeah, well, no, if we've done enough work in the first place, then that habit will have been changed once and for all. Because if you found a better way of doing something, why would you ever want to go back to the old way? Mm. But it's got to be convinced, your subconscious has got to be convinced that that new way is better. Once it's convinced of that, it will never go back to the old way. But sometimes people get a little bit euphoric about the fact that they're starting to feel better. And they say, I think we've done enough. Now, I'll never tell somebody that, no, you need to come for another two or three sessions. But I will say, well, look, only you know that. Give it a couple of weeks, see how you go. If mm. you feel you'd, you know, you'd benefit from another session, give me a call. If you're fixed, fine. You know, and sometimes they are. And sometimes mm. they will say, mm, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get a bit anxious again. And they need to come back for another session or two. But it yeah. depends on the person, really. Mm. A short well, answer to your... Uh, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. <coughs> and you say you give people the copy of the CD, the, the audio. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm far more sophisticated than that. I, I, I email them a link to, uh, to, <laughs> to a recording. It's all digital. <laughs> don't, I don't even think we've got CD players these days, have we? No. How long it's been to save tape? Listen to a It costs me money if I, if I have to burn a CD for people, I can yeah. give it to them for you. Um, but what also. about self-hypnosis? Would you, would you say that is self-hypnosis, just listening to you, or would you guide people? people on how to put themselves into a relaxed state i mean really all hypnosis is self-hypnosis all a hypnotist does is guide you through it mm -hmm. you've got to be of a mind that you want to do it you've got to be of that you know and you've got to feel very comfortable that, that what's happening but once you've had a, a session you know i give them the recordings for self-hypnosis purposes so they're really yeah. taking themselves into hypnosis you know, now, if I said, oh, anybody can hypnotize themselves, then I'd probably be out of business completely. Mm -hmm. But but it's, it is true. And I mean, you know, that where, where I did my training, that the tutor I had, who was fantastic, he always said, you know, I don't hypnotize people. I teach them how to hypnotize themselves, mm. which is what you're doing, really. And hypnosis, it's not some magical, mystical state at all. No. It's just relaxation. Mm. As I say, it's like being halfway between being awake and asleep, really. It's a very, very pleasant sensation. You said something to me earlier, which I really liked the sound of, uh, about being able to switch off that negative part of your brain, like your own self-critic. critical bit, yeah. yeah. Well, really it's like funny, yeah, when, when people come to see me, if I ask somebody, if I asked you, well, maybe not you, you're a very confident person, I'm sure, but if I ask people generally, tell me three or four good things about yourself, they would really struggle. Mm. Now, some of that is because we're British, we don't like to blow our own trumpet, if you like. If you're American, maybe you'd be, you'd be better. Um, but generally speaking, they don't, they'd struggle. 
and I prompt them. Well, are you, you know, are you are you a good friend to have? You know, oh yes, well, I'm quite quite a good friend. Are you are you, are you good at this? Are you good? It doesn't have to be skills. It can be the way you are, the type of person mm. you are. You know, and get them to think about it, and they will come up with something. If I said, tell me ten bad things about yourself, they could rattle those off, no problem at all. Yeah. You know, we're always very self-critical. We always think everybody else has got more confidence than us. And I can tell you after doing this for six years, they haven't. And they, we always think that there are things we wish we were better at. Well, that's great. You know, I, I, I put things into three categories, really. There are things you're good at, things you're not good at that you'd like to be good at, and things that you're not good at that you'll probably never be good at. Because you know, I, I long since realized I would not be an Olympic athlete. Yeah, I know I'm built like one, but I, I, I really don't think that was ever going to happen. Um, however, there are things I'd like to be better at. I'd like to be a better guitarist. I'd like to be better. Yeah. So I can work on those. Mm-hmm. So appreciate the things that you are good at. Allow yourself that to sort of think, yeah, actually, I am good at something. You know, I'm good at whatever it might be, or I'm a good friend to have, or I'm, you know, I'm a nice person, I, yeah, whatever that might be. And actually congratulate yourself on that a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, accept that. Then the things that you're not so good at but do matter to you, well, do something about it. Take lessons, do whatever you need to do to do that. And the other things, well, don't worry about them. You know, it would be lovely to think I could I could earn millions of pounds being a professional whatever, football or whatever, but I, I will never be that. So, well, fine. Somebody else is good at that, let them do it, you know. yeah. This is an absolutely loaded question, and this is probably a whole podcast series in itself. But why do you think that's our default, that we always, I don't know always, but majority of the time we always go, that's our go-to, that negative, like beating ourselves up about the things that we're not good at. Why do we always default to that rather than the good stuff? I think we, I I don't know if this is the answer to this really, but I think we tend to be very um, in admiration or envious of people who are very, very good at something. Mm. And because they're very, very good, we tend to sort of flip that and think, well, we're very, very bad at that. Well, actually, we're not. I mean, I won't go back to football because I really am a very, very bad footballer. But, you know, there are lots of things I'm not particularly good at, but I'll turn my hand to and I'll make a bit of a bodge of it. You know, take, you know DIY, things like that. You know, mm. you get a professional in, you watch somebody do something, you think, wow, <laughs> wish I could do that. I'm rubbish. Well, I'm not rubbish. I'm okay. I'm average. He's very good. Well, she's very good. So I think we tend to sort of compare ourselves with other people. Now, you know, we, we can, in, in, on the flip side of that, look at other people who are less fortunate than ourselves. Or I've noticed it a lot during, during lockdown and during all the regulations that we've had to live with. Have you noticed how many stupid people there are in the world? <laughs> yeah, well. again loaded question yeah <laughs> some people do seem to be very stupid yeah. now I, 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 i'm not I, this is being flippant i know and it's <laughs> being very disrespectful but some people just do not seem to have the brain power to be able to realize yeah. that if you do this you're going to spread a virus if yeah. you do yep. you know yep. and actually it's you know it's not being a rebel and saying i'm not doing what boris tells me it's saying if i go and see my granny in an old people's home and I've been mixing with a load of my mates in the pub mm. the night before, I might kill my nan. Mm. You know, but they don't seem to have the power to associate that. Mm. So we can feel very superior to them. Well, I wouldn't do that. I'm law-abiding. I, I, I'm more sensible than that. So in a way, we, we sort of set ourselves our place in life. I'm not that stupid, but I'm not that good. Mm. And I think depending on your upbringing and what you've experienced in life, if you've been put down by other people or told you're not very good at something, then you tend to err more on the side of, well, I really am rubbish, aren't I? Mm. You know, and you, you sort of forget the things that you are good at. Because sometimes the things we're good at, we don't particularly see them as skills or attributes, and yet they are. 
I mean, somebody said to me a long time ago, and this was a question you asked me earlier, Kedron, uh, you know, why do you do what you do? Well, somebody once told me I was good at listening to people. People come to me with their problems because I'll listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't try and solve those problems, but you might sort of, you'll empathize with them. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll try and maybe help them come up with some ideas for themselves. Well, I am actually quite good at that. Mm. Now, is that something that's useful well, yeah. in, in what Definitely. I do? It is. Yeah. You know, but it's not necessarily, if you t- take business, you know, Bottom line is making money, doing this, doing that, managing people. But it's a big part of managing people, I believe. But it's not seen to be by a lot of companies. You know, it's a very, a very modern day way of thinking. All the emotional intelligence. It's communications, isn't it? Because um, it's relationships for people. So whether it's a personal or professional communications, you're dealing with people, and so it is a fantastic skill to have. And like you were saying before about people who come with work problems. I've been in a corporate environment and had a terrible boss. It did me no end of damage mm. to my confidence. So it's very underrated skill and more people should... Um, it is, definitely. Yeah. But as I say, a lot of people, is not seen as a skill. And you can quite easily overlook it. I mean, there are a lot of things that you will be good at that you probably take completely for granted. Mm. Because it's, do, just, it's just me. Yeah. It's just what I do. Yeah, but if somebody points them out to you, you sort of think, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is, that is quite good. You know, so it's a matter of just reframing the way you think about about it. You know, mm. to take a little bit of time, sit down when you've got nothing to do for ten minutes, and and just think, well, what am I good at? Mm. Why? Why would I sometimes sometimes to get it out of people? I'll say to you, if if your best friend was sat in front of me now, what would she tell me were your good points? What would you say, Liz? <laughs> Cake. <laughs> Cake and drinking gin. <laughs> Two good points. I'm with you on both of those. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. see either available here, though. So. Yeah, yeah, that's sorry. true. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I invite you gin. along to do a podcast. There's no cake, there's no gin. No, but, you know, because they're more likely then to sort of think, well, you know, or what is it that you like about your best friend? And you sort of say, well, she's, she's reliable, she's, uh, she's loyal, she's kind, she's, she's whatever. And then you think, well, yeah, we generally tend to mirror the, the, the people that mm, we're friendly yeah. with. Mm. We like people who are like us. Mm. So does that mean then that you're loyal, you're friendly? You're, yeah. yeah, it probably does, doesn't it? Mm. But you hadn't considered that about yourself no, in the first you place. You? And you hadn't no. considered that to be something that was a valuable thing to have. And yet you see it as very valuable in your best friend. Yeah. So it's really, it's learning. I think what is the important stuff? You know, mm. you can learn to do lots of things if you want to do them, but your personality and the way you are as a person, your integrity, your honesty, your your loyalty these are all things that are built in attitude you know i mean some people you ask them to do something they're instantly thinking of 10 reasons why they shouldn't do it whereas you know if i asked you to do something you'd probably think yeah i can probably get that for you You it's it's attitude isn't it and that they always say that don't they in business yeah you can teach people skills you can't teach them attitude yeah yeah yeah, definitely definitely. Mm. it's the same when people come to see me if they uh, the attitude well i'm coming to see you because my wife told me to yeah and I think it's a load of nonsense, but I'll give it a go anyway. Well, then chances are they're not going to succeed. If they come to me because they say, oh, you helped my daughter and she's absolutely amazing now and I really believe that you can mm. help me, mm. then we're going to succeed. Does your heart sink when somebody comes to see you and says that? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, Get out of my office now. <laughs> well, I, used to, I used to be, well, I still, I still will be if I see many of them. <laughs> but if, if a smoker comes to see me, for instance, yeah, I, I believe if you want the therapy to succeed, it will succeed. Mm-hmm. So if you're serious about it, it will work for you. So if you're a smoker and you come to see me and you come because people are nagging you and saying, oh, you want to give up smoking, you don't really want to give up. No, but no, they're just coming because of someone's Yeah, setting. then yeah. forget it. Save your money. You know, go and buy some cigarettes with it. You're better off doing that. But if you've had your light bulb moment where you think enough is enough, I don't want to be doing this anymore. You know, if maybe you've had a grandchild 
and you don't want them to see you smoking because you know it's a bad thing or mm. you've had health problems, you know somebody who's been very ill from smoking or died from smoking, um, then you've had that light bulb moment where you think, no, I'm, I really want to give this up. I always sort of, I, I interrogate them. I have a big, long questionnaire, but I ask them. <laughs> and I, the last question is on a scale of one to 10, one being not at all interested to 10, being absolutely committed to this, where are you? Unless they'll give me a nine or 10, I'll suggest they go elsewhere and come back when they're ready mm-hmm. because they're not going to succeed. And I don't want people going away from me saying, oh, I tried that hypnotherapy, it was rubbish. No, of course you don't. You know? yeah. So make sure that they're serious about it to start with. Mm. And if they're serious, they will succeed. That's really interesting because I've been working on my portfolio for my counselling and within Person Centred, they talk about the seven stages where your client is when they come in and how you can use it to, to map them and find out how willing they are to because you're not there to change them you're there to help them with whatever's going on in their life and Mm. make their own decisions but there's a like you know about four and five you say is where they're willing to take responsibility for their own actions Mm. you've talked about that before Liz as well with your NLP and I think Annie did the life coach about you can make changes once people realize that realize that they can so maybe it's a confidence issue then they can take the bull by the horns mm. and go actually you know i believe that i can and i want to and yes. then they're ready to take some and it's choice it mm. yeah it's yeah, not just say, hypnotherapy is, it's any kind thing. of thing absolutely yeah. you've got yeah. to believe it, that you can do it and sometimes it, it will take a short while to convince them to get them to believe it yeah, yeah they may they want to but they can't quite allow themselves to believe that they would feel better because they've been like it for such a long time. Mm. Because that's the other thing, you know, apart from thinking that everybody else is fine, you're the only one who feels this way. You also think that you're always going to be like it. Mm -hmm. That's just the way you are and it can't be changed. Once you can sort of show them that actually it can, because I saw you last week and I I did feel better. I can't put my finger on it, but I I wasn't as worried. I wasn't as nervous. Mm. Once they start to believe that, then you're you're on a roll, you know. And I mean, sometimes your, your subconscious will push back on that a little bit because you're so useful your comfort zone is feeling rotten feeling worried all the time feeling anxious when you stop feeling like that your subconscious is thinking oh hang on a minute what's going on oh no i don't like this this is unknown territory let's go back to the way we were so sometimes you know people will have a bit of a blip i'll say that yeah i'll do two or three sessions they'll be doing brilliantly well and really pleased with their progress and then they'll come back for the fourth session and say oh i'm right back to square one That's it. Now, I feel worse than I did when I first came to see you. And I know now, after experience, that that is a blip. That's a bit of a pushback from the subconscious. And I'll say to them, you know, don't worry about it. You know, we'll we'll do today's session now. I'll focus on that a little bit and get you to put it into perspective. And then when you come and see me next time, you will be back on track. And they always are. You know, when I first happened to me, I thought, oh, God, I just failed. Yeah, yeah, I'm a rubbish therapist. It didn't work. But you realize, I think it is that sort of pushback a little bit. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. You know, even if we don't like the way we are, it feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll tend to go back to that. It's always it's always the unknown, isn't it? And I think also there's this worry about failure, but also feeling like, oh, I feel better, but I know at some point I'm probably going to feel rubbish again. So it's almost setting people set themselves up for a, a, a fall, don't they? Yeah, and you will both be aware, you know, because of your background is about the, uh, the principle of secondary gain. Sometimes you gain things from the way you yeah. are. If you're a particularly depressed or anxious person or whatever, and people are always making allowances for you, they're giving Mm. you fuss and attention, and you're allowed to get out of certain things because it would make you anxious or whatever, well, what happens if I lose that? Mm. I've got to be like a grown-up. I've got to just be like everybody else. You know, you've got that safety blanket at the moment, and, you know, you don't want to lose that necessarily. Not at a conscious level, but at a subconscious level, it's, well, yeah, hang on a minute. You know, I get pampered. I get treated specially. You know, I I I think secondary gain is quite a big thing 
big block, isn't it, for people yeah, getting definitely. over certain uh, certain yeah, things? They, 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 they get quite affronted if you suggest it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, well, no, I don't gain yeah, anything from yeah. this at all. Well, yeah. you do actually, don't yeah. you? You know. If you're, if you're allowed not to go and do something that you don't particularly want to do because it would make you anxious or have a panic attack, well, then you're safe. Mm. Now, Nigel, we've hurtled over the 40-minute mark. Normally, I give a 33-minute warning, do, don't, don't I? Yeah. 33 minutes is normally the marker. But um, let's go back to the beginning of lockdown because you haven't been practising your hypnotherapy until recently. You decided no. not to do that because of lockdown. You obviously didn't see your clients. But you did do something to fill your time. Mm-hmm. You became a Nantwich buddy. Oh, I did, yes. Didn't you? Yeah, I did. That was and fun. And what a fabulous Nantwich buddy you and Jackie, oh, your wife, were. That was brilliant. Really enjoyed that. Tell us about your how that all went for you and, and why you decided to get involved. Well, it was your fault, really. <laughs> I think you mentioned when we were at Rotary one day that uh, that you were doing this and if we, anybody wanted to volunteer. I'd already volunteered for one person separately to this mm. uh, who's... Uh, whose circumstances meant that they couldn't get prescriptions or shopping or whatever, and I did that. And then uh, you came along and, and, and asked the question. I had plenty of time on my hands. It's, I think it's spirally. In the end, I ended up looking after about 12, 13 families. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Jackie had about five. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was it's like a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was incredible. You were amazing. It, really, it was great fun, though. Thank you so much for, uh, for stepping I really up. Enjoy, and, I really enjoyed I didn't particularly enjoy the queuing outside pharmacies and yeah. things like that. But the, some of the elderly people... And, the, you know, how grateful they were yeah, for it. And how yeah. you could see that you were really making a difference to them. Yeah. That, that, was, that was good. I don't know. feel good. I don't know what your, your shopping strategy is like. And I don't want to sound <laughs> sex, sexist here. But I did have two chaps that came to me and said at the end they went back to work after furlough and whatnot. And they messaged me and they said, oh, I've really enjoyed it. The best thing about being a buddy is I've learned how to shop. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say I learned how to, but I got a lot better at it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you realise then, you know, they say women can multitask, men can't. I was doing shopping for four or five people at a time and yeah. keeping it all separate and paying separately. That's incredible. That, that was a good exercise for the yeah. brain because I would, it wouldn't come naturally to me. And I know my way around Sainsbury's and Morrison's yeah, now, like. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's business, you know. yeah. Well, and Aldi, I was going to say, but they've closed the yeah, yeah, one, they so I won't know more around there again. Aww. But it was it was good. It taught me some more life skills, put it that way. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realise how many people were dependent on pharmacies. Uh, yeah, how many yeah. drugs are actually dished out on a daily I basis? I know yeah. it's incredible, isn't it? Well, we, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember going first into that Church View pharmacy and looking at sort of floor to ceiling of mm. walls of prescriptions waiting yeah. to be picked up. <gasps> And Goodness some people, me. I was taking carrier bags for just mm, some people. They yeah. must have been on 10 different yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. Yeah, to Absolutely. keep them alive. And Absolutely. I didn't realise yeah, how, yeah. how sort of big that was. Yeah. So you made a choice at the beginning of lockdown to keep busy. And obviously that probably has, has helped, as we've heard from lots of people, that's helped with mental health and just keeping your mind occupied and stuff. Mm. What kind of things would you do generally to keep happy, get happy, be happy and look after your own mental health? I think the worst thing in the world you can have is too much time to think. Mm. Um, about yourself, certainly. You know, I think keeping busy is a key to it. You know, get some interests, some hobbies, do something. I mean, I, I go for a walk every morning for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I go on my own and it's just for a bit of a mindfulness, sort of, uh, you know, empty your mind and appreciate the birds and the, the trees and all that. Sometimes Jackie comes with me, so it tends to be more of a listening session then. Um <laughs> But uh, no, it, it does clear your head, and it is nice to go for that. Well, it's it's a bit of exercise as well because you know, I, I'm not a big gym uh, yeah. fanatic or anything. Um, so that's good. I find that's really good for uh, to kick you off in the day. And if I can do it first thing in the morning, if it's not chucking it down with rain, then it, it's it's always better in the morning. You know what's been really interesting is that pretty much every guest that we've had on and we've asked that question have mm. said about 
the thing that they do is getting outside, going for a walk, getting outside, being close to nature. Pretty much everybody has said yeah, that. I think that's true. And I mean, that's beneficial in lots of other ways, yeah. isn't it? Because you know, they're all saying everybody's a bit short of vitamin D these days mm-hmm. and we yeah. should get more sunlight, whatever. So I think it's good from that point of view. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, yeah, at least then you feel you've done something. Even if you're not doing anything else for the rest of the day, particularly, you've been out and you've done that. Mm-hmm. So you've sort of had your exercise. So you feel yeah. a little bit good about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you, if you on days when it's just, the weather's just too awful to go out. You can get a little bit, even I can f- sort of feel mm, f- mm. a bit flat. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. can imagine how people feel that can't, oh. haven't been able to get out at all. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it must be making them stir crazy. But I think the other thing is we're lucky, and we've talked about this before, where we live. Cheshire is a yes. lovely yeah, is. county, isn't it? And we're not never too far to no. getting out in the sticks. No, we're really lucky in where we live. I mean, I, you know, imagine living in a tower block out in the outskirts mm. of London or Manchester or somewhere like that, you know, where you've, you've got no garden to sit in. I mean, we were really lucky at the beginning of lockdown that the weather was great, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people were in holiday mode for quite a long time. Mm. You know, and then we all started to get a little bit fed up with it or whatever. But as I say, the, the volunteering, I found, really filled a massive gap for me because mm. that was that was as much from for me as for anybody else that mm. was that really kept me going you know and every time you contact you you were putting a thing out there saying can anybody take on another one i'd think yeah i can take on another <laughs> one and you'd be saying are you sure i think well yeah, yeah i can fit that in you know i'm not doing anything tuesday afternoon mm. whatever but that again that was you know i i, I thrive on doing stuff mm. i've done all the diy i could possibly do around the house whether it's being good or bad well, coming out um, for some of ours some other ours not very good at that <laughs> but I, I do try to i mean i i i became a parish councillor in williston uh, that was oh, uh, did you? and oh. uh, well you know i renovated the phone box yes, in, in williston, right. the yeah, book yeah. box that we have there so uh, the old uh, the old red phone box uh, well i didn't i didn't turn it into a book box but it was in a dilapidated state so i stripped it all back and completely reglazed it repainted it and now i look after that book box so it's the most tidiest library you'll find anywhere yeah because it's only two minutes walk from the house so about two or three times a day i'm there somebody didn't put that book back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally um, but so brilliant. you know things like that and yeah. uh, also like the, there's two benches on the, the green the village green is just opposite me as well and some darling vandals went and smashed those up so i repaired oh. those and uh, just stuff to keep yourself occupied really yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, and generally speaking i'm not without anything to do most of the time mm-hmm. and i'm seeing clients again as well so that yeah. will build back up again excellent they say if you want something done ask a busy person keep busy and don't yeah. have too much time to think about yourself definitely well thank you very very much nigel it's been lovely to have you here and thank you once again for everything you've pleasure. done for the buddies and, and supporting everybody through lockdown and uh, much love also to jackie and thanks very much it's been a pleasure oh hang on a minute we need your contact details how can people oh, get yes. in touch with you if they want to well the the website is www.rightmind.org.uk and uh, i'll give you my phone number mm-hmm. if you like, yeah, yeah which is uh 01270-666-442 Six 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 four four two. That's a nice easy mm. number to remember, isn't it? it is. Thank you ever so much, Nigel. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Kate. You're listening to the Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network, with me, Liz Parkin, and me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved, and be happy.